This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. That has a bigger plan, has a longer perspective, uh, has a more penetrating ideal of who we are and what we should be and what we do. That's Matt Thomas, author, church planter, and president of the Global Wesleyan Alliance. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. Along with Armin Asadi. And we're so glad you're here for taking another show. We have a great guest in line for us for you and for us today, we have Matt Thomas. Matt is the president of the 8 million member Global Wesleyan Alliance. He has served for 12 years as the lead overseer of the Free Methodist Church USA, and he has had past roles as an educator, a pastor, a superintendent, a bishop, an overseer, a missionary, a college president, a church planner. <gasps> A consultant, a conference presenter, an author, a strategist. I mean, you know, this guy has done it all, and he's, like, been everywhere, too. He's the author of a brand-new book called Completing Project Me, How Understanding God's Perspective Changes Yours. And uh, I just am delighted to welcome to the program Matt Thomas. Welcome to the Bold Idea Podcast. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. Well, glad to have you. Now, you have done... A ton of stuff. You've been an educator, a pastor, a superintendent, an overseer, a bishop, a missionary. I mean, you've been around the world. You've done lots and lots of stuff. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Help, help us get acquainted. Who is Matt Thomas? Uh, you know, raised in a small town, but uh, have lived in some of the largest cities in the world. So I've kind of been all over the place, lived in three different countries. and But I'm a, I'm a child of God. I became a Christian when I was 18 years of age and uh, have really found my purpose in, in Christ and continue to grow in my faith uh, all the way along. Really, it's uh, my, my life is less about uh, a job or vocation as it is calling or avocation. And I uh, love the Lord, love people. I love people. I love to be around people. I love to hear stories. And uh, my wife and I are heavily vested in not just the church, but people globally and, and cultures. And so uh, that's our life. Uh, we have we have more friends on Facebook from outside of this country than inside. Yeah, that's that's great. Now, you're living where? You're residing in? We live in Spokane, Washington, mm-hmm. and uh, we've kind of split our time between Indianapolis, Indiana, where our global ministry center is, and uh, Spokane, but we just recently relocated here full time. Yeah, so you're a bit like Johnny Cash. You've been everywhere, man. But uh, if you if you had to choose, <laughs> if you had to choose one place to go that you you kind of miss the most. And you had an opportunity just to go there today. Where would you go? Well, I love being here, being home uh, close to my kids and my grandkids. But uh, probably some of my dearest friends uh, that I've spent many, many years with are in the Philippines where we live and in India where we spend a lot of time in China. So I, I love Asia. So if I could just pack up and go somewhere for four or six months or a year or something other than here, it would be in Asia probably. Yeah, and the book that you just wrote, Completing Project Me, is got a lot of stories about your trips to Asia. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, I've traveled to more than seventy countries, but uh, repeatedly to most of the Asian countries. So, tell our listeners, what's the book about? Well, the book is uh, it really is kind of transcultural. It's something that I see everywhere I go, no matter what country I'm in. People wonder why they're here. 
and if the stuff that takes place in their life has any significance or meaning. So I try to answer that question that a lot of folks don't ever really figure out why they're here or uh, how these things that can, people consider to be wasted experiences or one-off issues uh, that they really do play into a larger perspective that God has a God has a bigger plan has a longer perspective uh, has a has a more penetrating ideal of who we are and what we should be than what we do so I wrote basically the book for people that are trying to figure out you know how all the stuff that takes place in their life fits together yeah, and what prompted you to put pen to paper to do that? Uh, a couple of things. Probably one had to do, and I allude to it in my book, um, we, we lost uh, one of our children to cancer. And uh, at the end of that period of time, uh, I found out that there were a lot of people, even Christians, who really don't kind of have uh, a full understanding of how God works in life and death how he works in the good stuff and how sacrifice and sometimes hardship actually moves further down the road than the, than the easy stuff. And so uh, after a number of those experiences that we had and that people could empathize with us and we would come, uh, I found that it was probably a good thing to probably articulate in the context of a book to let people know that understanding God's perspective of things makes ours a whole lot better. Yeah, now that's your son, Mitchell. He he passed away what 20, when he was 28? Yeah, he was 28 years old. He uh, came down uh, with cancer. It was identified as cancer. He was sick about uh, 17 or 18 months before he passed, and there was a month or two that we didn't know exactly what it was, but we, we labored with him. Uh, it was a long-term type of illness that uh, that he had, and so we had lots of quality time with him. Uh, leading up to that, uh, the, the day we uh, sadly uh, kissed him goodbye and, and covered him up with a sheet and uh, and prayed over the circumstance and moved on from that point in time and uh, and have engaged people ever since. I was in the middle of my global ministry, and so um, I took a little bit of time off afterwards, but, but re-engaged uh, shortly after. Yeah, now how long has it been? Well, it's, it's been 10 and a half years, almost mm-hmm. 11 years now, mm-hmm. so it's been a long time. Um, we, but, you know, he was, he was an adult at the time and had adult siblings, but uh, it seems like the shorter time, the older I've become. Yeah. But you never really get over that grief, do you? I mean, that's not something any parent should have to endure. No, it's a it's a qualitatively different type of grief than any other. Uh, I think they're in, inherently we are somewhat charged with caring for our children, and uh, and so when we're unable to provide the protection and care that they require, it's a it's a little different type of a bonding situation than with siblings or parents. And I've I've lost my share of family members. Um, laterally and uh, parentally, but uh, but it's a different kind of thing. Anybody that's lost a child, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's a breach in the normal course of things. Yeah. You know, I've walked with a friend of mine who's lost his son to really drug addiction, and um, and it's, it's just it's such a hard journey to go through. Sure. Yeah, it is for anyone. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned at the kind of the preamble here in the show that part of the motivation for writing the book is just to help people make sense of what seems like waste in their lives. Um, yeah. And you tell a story in your book about spending time in the Philippines and that felt like that was somewhat of a wasted experience for you as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, sure. 
Sure. Yeah. Uh, briefly, I we we were there for three years. Really sensed that, that God was calling us there, and I think anybody that feels like they're called to do something, you do it. And uh, if it's a calling, then you feel like you're going to experience all these marvelous benefits from being obedient to the call of the Lord. And we were there for three years through all the pain of learning a language and learning culture and uh, and being distant, remote from our family here in the U.S. And uh, we we planted churches. We tilled ground uh, spiritually in other ways. I worked with social organizations and political entities and had a pretty fruitful ministry, but it's, it became equally apparent after three years that we needed to move back to the U.S. I won't go into the reasons why, but I remember sitting on the plane after three years of a lot of painstaking effort to do what we knew the Lord had called us to do. And I looked at my wife and I said, as we were clicking the belt, getting ready to leave the country and, and uh, where we'd lived for three years, and said, well, what was that all about? And uh, I came back to the U.S., planted churches, consulted with leadership organizations nationally, became a superintendent of a large group of churches, ultimately became the bishop of a denomination. And it wasn't until about 20-some years later, 20 or 22 years later, that after we had left, that I was working with some of our folks in country I probably shouldn't mention on the on, on air here, but uh, a, what do we call a creative access country, a country where you know, we can't do openly Christian things there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, the the people, the leaders spent about 20 minutes saying that they felt like they were more productive than they'd been in their church organization for more than 60 years. And it was because I understood Asian culture and Asian practices. And, and it wasn't until after I left that meeting, sat down with my translator that was explaining to me that my time in the Philippines had uh, primed me for those moments that I Finally, I looked at my wife, and 22 years after I asked the question, what was that about, uh, I was able to say uh, to her, and we both laughed, that's what that was about. So, you know, I tell people, don't don't quit too soon on wondering, you know, was there race there? Was that a... Was I not listening? Uh, was there no merit to that particular experience? Because there likely is. We just, uh, we've got a timing issue or our eyes aren't open enough, or we haven't given the Lord the opportunity to, to really work in us before we discard the experience. So that's, in short, that's the, that experience. Well, I've had that conversation with so many people where they're just scratching their heads over something that they've gotten involved in, where they're just wondering, what I, I felt like God was calling me to that, and, and what was that all about? And it, and it maybe it ended poorly, you know, for them or whatever, and they're just like, why would that end that way if God, I felt God calling me into it? What would, you, what would you say to them based on the experiences you've had? You know, um, the value issue, uh, it ended poorly or it ended well, is in a sense irrelevant. I mean, it might end poorly for us and very beneficial for someone else. The, the real issue is, is God making something out of me in this? And, uh, and it's God doing something bigger than me, you know, using this experience and others. The Apostle Paul made the comment that, you know, he had significant hardships he talks about in Second Corinthians chapter 11. And he goes on and lists them over and over again, his shipwrecks and being stoned and all these uh, problems and dangers that he experienced. And at the end of it, after he asked God to remove them all, he found out that he was strengthened uh, through the course of them. And so he started making them his boast uh, because he realized when he was weak, he was strong. And I try to tell people this thing, you know, don't, don't look at anything as wasted. If it's been a delightful experience, it'll continue to grow in its delight. If it's been a painful experience, 
it may just be the most formative experience you've ever had. Mm. And if it's been something that seems to have benefited you not at all, God might be using it to do something, uh, the most significant impacting thing that uh, that you do for other people yeah. might come out of that experience. So. So, Matt, you've also taken on a lot of different roles. And, you know, I know that you've had an opportunity to, well, really get a lot of opportunities. But I'm wondering, is there any area where, you know, you might have regretted an opportunity that you didn't take? Yeah, there are times uh, I can think of of, uh, one specific instance where um, I had the opportunity to go into a context and... uh, press some authorities for uh, something that would likely have me end up in prison. But um, it was in another country, a, a creative access country, a place where things were quite dangerous. And I, I uh, with, withheld from engaging in that. And, uh, and I've had to do a lot of probably some, you know, makeup work of trying to get back into that com- particular community and, uh, the places where I've taken some significant challenges and just left uh, left the circumstances into God's hand, let the results be in in His court. You know, this always seems to work out for the for the best. But uh, for the most part, I don't have many regrets. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, if I feel like God wants me to do something, I you know, obedience is not a means to an end. Obedience is an end in itself. Mm. Whether whether the results come out the way we want them or we, mm-hmm. they don't come out the way we want them, that's not the issue. That's that's up to God. Uh, we have to be obedient. So for the most part, I think my wife and I are committed to a life, lifestyle of obedience, and, and we've done that, whether it's produced hardship for us or, or if it's been an easy road. Yeah. So we were talking about decisions that we take and, and maybe didn't work out or did work out, but you know where we might, like you described your time in the Philippines, what was that all about and whether it was a waste? I, what I was trying to get at there was, are there corollary decisions where, you know, wasted opportunities that we didn't take, you know, so right. the things that were like, okay, we felt like maybe God was calling us to something. Yeah, like, and I think I, I, fear is the base of that uh, from from my perspective. I know a lot of people don't do things for two reasons, one of two reasons. They they hold back from doing really what what would be the most shaping things in their life because they're afraid. They're afraid of outcomes. They're afraid of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the things. And then the other one is calculation. You know, we just start calculating, well, I think I'll do this because it will have a better result than that. And if we start uh, calculating our lives, we start shaping out uh, what's going to be most productive. Sometimes we walk by the best opportunity. Um, you know, Jesus in the story of the Good Samaritan, he talks about three people that walked by a guy that had been beat up and robbed and laying on the side of the road. All three of the people had somewhere to go. Mm. Uh, two of them stayed with their posture of trying to not be unclean and try to go to wherever their destination was. It was the one who was interruptible that actually received the commendation from Jesus. So so either fear that something bad's going to happen, people end up not doing the thing that they should be doing, and, uh, and also calculation just gets people in trouble. Well, has there been a time for yourself where you've gotten a little bit ahead of yourself in terms of your destination? Yeah. Yeah. There've been times where I tried to press down the road a little farther. Uh, I always uh, look at it as though usually the most significant goals are up close, not farther away. Mm. There've been times where I've, I've tried to calculate out, um, you know, what would be the long-term benefit if I did this or that rather than acting just purely out of the moment when I knew something was right. 
uh, I use the reference, I reference something in a book, in the book uh, about that, where I was actually doing something very good. I was in the process of trying to memorize some scripture when I was a missionary in the Philippines. And in my doing so, I actually have to, happened to be traveling into an area where there were people that were dying on a regular basis, people that had significant illnesses. It was a very impoverished area. And I remember it wasn't uncommon to walk around or step over people that were languishing in some way, but it was just this sea of humanity that were struggling and suffering. And the the irony hit me at one point in time when I stepped over someone, uh, all of a sudden I heard a little bit of a murmur, and I realized I was trying to do God's work (laughs) and moving farther down the road, and it took 10 steps before I realized, wait, 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 uh, my prescribed activity is, is should be superseded by this immediate emergency, and uh, so I had to stop and move back. I think everyone, one time or another, is no. I, I've never stepped over that. a dying man. I can tell you that. <laughs> I don't think anybody I know has either. <laughs> That's incredible. I, yeah, that that would kind of hit home for me too. That's well, I hate to say it, it kind of stops you dead in your tracks, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I was stopped dead in my tracks. Went back, aborted the, uh, the, the, I just said, we're not having a worship service today. Just everybody go and pray. And I'm going to sit with this person. And I sat with him until he died. And, and, uh, but then they encouraged me to go and have a service anyway. So I went and, uh, we had a record attendance. People were very curious as to who this, uh, Anglo was that would just sit there with a dying person for an hour or two rather than come and meet with everyone. So it turned out to be much, much more beneficial in the long run, though I was, uh, it was the, it looked to be more of a distraction than part of the purpose. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Hey, y'all, this is Armin and Larry here. We just want to thank you for being a part of our podcast journey here at the Bold Idea Podcast. And uh, we would love to remain a ad-free podcast. So if this is a podcast that you're enjoying and would love to keep it ad-free, please go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate and help us keep it ad-free. And this was not an ad. You know, you perfectly illustrated what I was going to ask you about in this interview because in your book you talk about the difference or at least you make a distinction between chasing light and walking in light. And I think you've described that in this story. But why don't you illustrate that a little bit more? Yeah, chasing light. People are, you know, the, the whole concept of light, it's a very biblical term. John uses it a lot about him was, in him was life. And the life was the light of man. This, this, this whole concept of light and, um, you know, the verdict is this, light has come into the world, it says in John chapter 3, that men love darkness more than light because their deeds are evil. So this, this whole idea of light, people pursuing light, the brightness, the brilliance of fame, popularity, success, those are all light concepts, brightness, brilliance. And people have a tendency, it's our human nature, to, to chase after light. And it's a very different thing. And you, you know when people are chasing after it, because usually when they get to it, they're a little bit dissatisfied. Uh, and I've met a lot of rich people. I've met a lot of famous people who uh, are depressed or did not find the joy or the happiness that they thought that they would find when they finally caught that destination. That's chasing light. Walking in light is a totally different thing. 
if Jesus Christ really is the light and brings light into us, then it doesn't matter what we're doing or where we're going. It'd be like a guy named Brother Lawrence hundreds of years ago that found that he was uh, closest to God when he was washing dishes. So there's a difference. That's walking in light, where you're just, you find tranquility in a place and you're absolute peace and uh, you're filled with joy. And it's really, it really has nothing to do with the pursuit. It's, uh, it's a moment in the, it's about the presence rather than the pursuit. So that's walking in light. And just knowing what you're supposed to do and doing it is way different than thinking that something is going to bring you joy and so you chase it. Mm-hmm. You know, so cats. Uh, you know, I use the illustration that you know, cat. You can you can entertain a cat for hours <laughs> and yourself by you know flashing light all over the wall, and they're just jumping around and chasing it, and there's just nothing to that. But when someone is sitting in a very satisfied place, it's like having a very good meal. You might not be able to remember it 20 minutes later, but in this moment, you're thoroughly enjoying it, and that's that's there's walking in light when you're with Jesus. You just don't have regret. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, um, I I, I kind of have a lot of curiosities around um, your organization and your focus on church planting. I don't know if this is a good time to segue to that or not, um, but if it is okay, I'd love to find out about the current state of church planting globally. Sure. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, the church is growing exponentially in certain areas of the world. Uh, there are areas in the Middle East, in the Far East. There are places in South America and Latin America that uh, they're growing by leaps and bounds. Not as much in the West. However, there is some planting going here. But uh, here we have a tendency in the U.S., we have a tendency to have to gather lots of people together and spend a lot of money and have a big worship band and possibly a facility that will hold lots of folks. But the, the, really the ecclesia or the church, the gathering, is a collection of people who love God and are, are pursuing Him. And when you get two or three or four people gathering together in a community that's maybe had a significant amount of persecution or darkness or injury, um, churches are planted very quickly and easily because, as per what I was saying a moment ago, when you, when you only have two or three people that are walking in substantial light when everything else is dark around, mm-hmm. it creates an entire community of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have, a, we have some church planting models that we use that seem to work very well in places internationally based off of... Uh, Luke chapter 9 and 10, where it talks about Jesus sending out 12 people, and later he sent out 72, but he told them to go find a person of peace in a community. And uh, that becomes the launching point to tell your story and to gather with some measure of receptivity from someone, and they're usually the person of peace is a person of influence. And uh, we're seeing churches just in our small denomination that I work with, uh, we've seen uh, thousands and thousands of churches planted just in the last five or six years, seven years. And where is that Where is that peak of that activity occurring? Well, the Middle East, a lot of things are happening in the Middle East right now. That's probably one of the rap- most rapidly growing areas of ministry. Uh, the Far East, I can, there are a couple countries I can't mention here, but they're two of the probably four most populous countries in, on earth mm-hmm. where the church is just growing rapidly and the government is doing everything they can to thwart the effort. But uh, when you have people that are living lives that are truly alive, it becomes very winsome. Uh, many of our churches don't start by launching a service. They start with some people caring for people in a mm-hmm. park. 
mm-hmm. and uh, or offering to pray and lay hands on folks and pray for them or ask them how they're doing, something as simple as that. Or, or sitting next to a dying man on the ground. Some, yeah, uh, Very simple assistance. So yeah. uh, some of those countries, the churches are growing very rapidly as well. Could you maybe highlight some data points in regards to the state of the church right now globally that perhaps most people are not privy to? Yeah, some data points. Well, um, you know, I, w- I would say that the places where government control is heaviest and where persecution is heaviest is where the church is growing most rapidly. Hmm. The place where there's the greatest degree of prosperity and freedom is um, there's a little bit of indolence, uh, laziness, whatever, uh, apathy mm-hmm. uh, that sets in in certain areas, uh, predominantly in the West. In other words, if you can rely upon your own power and your own strength, maybe the assistance of a government or a social organization or uh, Medicare or whatever, if you if you have those types of things, people have a tendency to uh, live independent lives rather than reliant ones. It's the people that have the greatest need that look for the greatest source of encouragement and strength and uh, ability to meet the need power and strength to be able to deal with that. So the data points seem to be mostly circled around how much we think we have it together and how much we think we need uh, the assistance of a living God. You know, there's a guy named Kenneth Scott Lauderat who wrote a series of books on the history of the church, and uh, he made some observations after he wrote about 2,000 years of history of the church. He said it's typically under persecution and poverty that the church has flourished, and it's under prosperity that the church has languished. And the sad thing is, is some of the areas where people do nothing but preach about prosperity uh, are the places where simultaneously the church is languishing the most. So that that seems to be where the trend is. And uh, and then also the the other data point I would give you, it's when people are most engaged in community. When one person comes to know the Lord and comes to faith, and that faith is transformative, and they their circle involves 25 family members that they're very close to, a close network of friends, a highly engaged community, that one person can impact 50 people real quickly. I know here in uh, the U.S., one person may live with very few intimate friends, a lot of Facebook friends, a lot of social media, but uh, maybe maybe their family community is somewhat distant from one another emotionally and all of that. And uh, and so when there's a, a life that's changed or transformed, sometimes the impact isn't as high because their their engagement with their with the community is not as high. So those are a couple of data points that seem to fit into where the church thrives the most and some of the reasons why. Hmm. I love that. Um, so if I'm reading into what you're saying right now, it sounds like you guys are kind of moving towards a micro church planting type methodology. Is that correct? Yeah, well, that's the methodology that seems to work best, but that's not necessarily the outcome. So I'm, I'm very cautious to, to tell people that, you know, things would remain micro, but you're spot on from the standpoint that we start with small community. But some of what, what we call house churches in areas around the world, and the only reason they call them house church in uh, several countries is because they can't be recognized by the by the government or by the state. Uh, they're not a state-based church. And so they call them house churches. I've spoken in house churches with 2,000 people in them. 
So they're certainly not micro, but every one of them have started micro and they've spread rapidly rather than growing large as their intent. Rather than growing large in a single number, they multiply in entities and numbers of churches. But yes, you're, you're right that the church planting efforts almost nowhere around the world where the church is really thriving is the intent. We're going to build a congregation of a thousand people in this spot. Hmm. But a lot of times they end up with a thousand people in the spot but it's because they're planting all these microchurches and sometimes they come together and they become leadership development factories. Mm. You know, I'm trying to take in what you're saying about the state of the global church, and I don't know whether to be encouraged or discouraged. I think I'm simultaneously both. <laughs> but, but I think... Yeah, you know, it is. What, what are our priorities? Where are we really focused? And, you know, what do we really want to see done? And at, at places where it becomes, you know, an inane focus, and again, it gets back to the issue of completing project need. God wants to do way more in and through us than most people really have any idea that there's uh, the potential for. So we can't limit the Lord. I'm encouraged by what you're saying is happening over there. <laughs> I hope I can just use that uh-huh. term. And sure. discouraged by what's happening right here, you know. And But if I if I take any takeaway from your book, I want, I want to just, just uh-huh. sum it up and see if I can grab this. If I take, get any takeaway from your book, it's that even all the stuff that happens, no matter what are the environment that we're in, doesn't need to be wasted under in, in God's grace and so in that sense, I think we can be encouraged even in what we have as an apathetic culture here. God can use that and restore that. And in fact, you talked about the recycling work of God in your book, but we're kind of out of time for our podcast. But I just want to invite our listeners to dive into that because I think the whole idea that comes out of this book for me is the redemptive hope of whatever situation we're in. Is that on the mark here in terms of what you're trying to communicate, Matt? That's spot on. That's spot on. In fact, I use the word hope all the time. You know, don't give up on the circumstances. Don't give up on God. Don't say that just because you can't see the the outcomes that you're looking for, don't think at all that the best outcomes aren't going to be in it. So yeah, Yeah. it's it's all about hope. Oh, that's great. So talk about where people can learn more about you and uh, find your book. Yes. Well, you can find the book on Amazon or several of the other more conventional places, both online or in stores. And they can find me at MatthewAThomas.net, that site. It's just my middle initial between Matthew Thomas, so Mm -hmm. MatthewAThomas.net. And I keep up with blogs. I let people know what's going on around the world and and also places that I'm speaking. Sometimes I'm doing uh, seminars or conferences, and uh, people can catch up there. Oh, that's great. Well, we don't want to leave without asking you one final question. What's your next bold idea? Uh, the next bold idea is probably to help expand the idea that everybody's a leader. Uh, this whole concept that some of us are born leaders and some of us aren't. I'm trying to help people understand the level of influence that they have. And so I just meet, meet so many people who say, well, I can't do that because of uh, whatever. And I, there's a great line. Daniel uses it in the book of Daniel. And Joseph uses something very similar when both of them are asked to translate or interpret dreams. Joseph for Pharaoh and and Daniel for Nebuchadnezzar, they both basically said the same thing. I can't do it, but there's a God. Mm-hmm. And uh, people have to understand that their capacity is way, way above what they understand, and they can actually lead in places that they don't think they can. So that's that's kind of what I'm working on right now. Well, that's, that's exciting, and I know it's well needed. So I want to thank you again, Matt, for appearing on the Bold Idea Podcast, telling us about your book, and, and really opening up your heart and sharing some of your life story. Very encouraging, and just want to thank you again for being on our show. Well, thank you very much. It's been a delight being with you. You bet. 
All right, there's a guy who's been everywhere. Uh, yeah, that's probably an understatement. The amount of things that he's accomplished, the amount of things that he's seen, the places he's gone. I mean, he should just write a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he kind of did in the book that he's, I mean, it, you know, it's kind of ironic. The title of the book is Completing Project Me, but I think it was kind of almost like his memoirs, almost like Completing Project Him, yeah. you know, in a way. <laughs> Um, and you know, we talked a little bit about the title of that book because it's 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 I don't know my view, my read of it. It's not as much completing Project Me as it's is it's this notion that we just talked about. You know, how do we deal with what we think are the wasted stuff in our life? Hmm. Yeah, and and that, that to me is kind of like really important because when we engage in our bold idea, inevitably we're going to wonder as we're moving forward with what we think God's calling us to. There's going to be times where we go, okay, that didn't quite work out the way I thought it would. Right? What was that all about? <laughs> yeah. And I and I have yet to meet an entrepreneur or somebody who's really following God that hasn't had a moment where they thought, "Well, I was sure God was in this." Yep. And now it didn't work out, so I'm not sure if maybe I didn't read it. So you get this like fear yeah, that maybe well, you you're not questioning your ability you to maybe hear not from reading God, God right, yeah. you know? And so the idea is and the mistaken assumption, he addresses it. If, if we only look at whether it was a calling, if the outcome was good, then we're missing the whole point of obedience. Yep. Because God might call you to something that doesn't look fruitful. Yeah, he said it in an amazing way. He said, uh, a lot of times obedience is the destination rather than thinking that obedience is leading you to the destination. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that was profound for me to hear. Mm -hmm. It's just maybe God is just looking for a yes yeah. rather than looking for you to go through the entire process, win or fail. Well, and to presume that the only measure, and he said this too, in a different way, but the only measure of success is how well we profit from it in some way, you know, so I don't mean profit huh. necessarily materially, yeah. but whether it has a good outcome for us, because sometimes what we do might not be for us. It might mm. be for someone else. Mm. Yeah. And I remember a time when Anna and I were walking, uh, we, we had a conversation. I don't even remember what was going on in our lives, but it was, we were in, in a challenging time and inevitably, you know, you get to the conversation, what's God trying to teach us in all this? Yeah. And, you know, I think we've talked about this before. Whenever you ask that question, it isn't because you really want to learn it. It's because you want to learn it in order to make it go away. You know, it's <laughs> so not it because- it doesn't happen again. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all your, the, the whole motivation is to get rid of the circumstance. <laughs> it isn't to actually get the learning. Sure. It's yeah. like passing a test. <laughs> yep, I'm memorizing it yep. so I can get the test passed and that's it because I don't really care about learning it. Yeah, it's like right. our education system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so we asked God, you know, so what's what are you trying to teach me in all this? And here was what we both felt confirmed in the spirit. It could be the lesson isn't for us at all. Oh, It could be that maybe the whole reason we're going through this is so our kids might have testimony of two parents that walked through a challenging time. Wow. And they just saw how that how that should be done. And maybe that's all it is. You know, oh, I, don't, I honestly don't even remember what it was about. If we got Anna in here, she could probably tell you exactly yeah, of what course. it was about. Yeah, every detail. I, yeah, <laughs> every excruciating detail, which I don't want to know about. But the fact of the matter still remains that we always have this lens by which we view the rightness of something by how it affects us. Right. And he said it in there. It's like what you could have done might have had a great impact on somebody else, negative impact on you. <laughs> And maybe God wanted it because it had a great impact on somebody else. Yeah. And also it serves the purpose of having a bad impact on you because it caused you to have to rely on him greater. I don't know. Can you imagine that message going out to younger millennials? Oh, yeah, that's right. Let's sell Gen that one. Z. Hey, it's not about you. Yep. <laughs> Just gasps in the audience. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt and I'll buy it.
<laughs> yeah, I love it because it's. I, I just I know how challenging that would be for my generation and younger to actually take that not just as head knowledge but to apply it. That would that's like suicide <laughs> for them, you yeah, know. Because exactly. it's like, wait, what? But everything I do is about me. Yeah. <laughs> well, what you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't have fear of missing out if. <laughs> If it, you know, if that were true, right? Yeah. If it's not about you, then you're not missing out on anything. Yeah, no FOMO. Right. Yeah, no FOMO. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh, is that, is that yeah, our... It's my next t-shirt, right? Hey, Instead go. of no regrets, no, no FOMO. FOMO. <laughs> All right, somebody's got a bold idea. There you go. And hashtag no FOMO. Uh, hashtag no FOMO. <laughs> if you like this episode, go out to Twitter and do a hashtag no FOMO. With a link to this show, honestly, we hope you enjoyed the program and our conversation with Matt Thomas. You can find our show notes along with links to all the resources he mentioned, uh, how to get a hold of him and how to learn about his book at boldideapodcast.com slash 102. Leave a comment for us there. Hashtag no FOMO. That's got to take <laughs> off. I'm just saying that's that's got to go somewhere. Um, and we'd love for you to leave us a review, boldideapodcast.com slash review. Spread the word about our show. We love to, uh, to get more listeners, obviously, to the program, and we hope that it's in inspired you in your journey. And remember, Matt Thomas, uh, the key message here is there's no wasted stuff in life with God in it. He is the great recycler. He's a great redeemer and you got hope. So go out there this week and put your faith to work because God's going to do something with it. Until next time, this is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi saying, go do it. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.